Chapter 52 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 52 Unpaternal. Meanwhile, Mr. Sharp had his forces ready and was waiting for Grace and Christopher, Cinemata's good uncle Kershew, who spent half of his useful time in stealing horses and the other half in disguising and disposing of them, although he might not have desired to show himself so long before the moonlight. Yet, true to honor, here he was, blinking beneath a three-cornered hat, like a grandly respectable coachman. The carriage was drawn up in a shady place, quite out of sight from the windows, and the horses, having very rare experience of oats, were embracing a fine opportunity, in picturesque attitudes of tobacconizing, if the depth of the wood covers barbarism, three fine fellows might now be seen, to wit, Black George, Joe Smith, and that substantial householder, Ticus Cripps. In the chase sat a lady of comfortable aspect, though fidgeting now with fat, well-gloved hands. Mrs. Sharp had begged not to have to stop at home and wonder what might be doing with her own kit, and the case being now one of neck or nothing, her husband had let her come, foreseeing that she might be of use with Grace Oglander. For the moment, however, she looked more likely to need attendance for herself, for she kept glancing round towards the cottage door, while her plump and still comely cheeks were twitching, and tears of deep thought about the merits of her son held her hard and quick readiness to be up and help them. Once Mr. Sharp, whose main good point, among several others, was affection for his wife, rode up and in a playful manner tickled her nose with the buckskin loop of his loaded whip, and laughed at her. She felt how kind it was of him, but her smile was only feeble. Now mine, dear, said Mr. Sharp, reining his horse, as strong as an oak and as bright as a daisy. Feel no anxiety about me. You have plenty of nourishment in your three bags. Keep them all alive with it. Everything is mapped out perfectly. Near Wycombe, without rousing any landlord, you have a fresh pair of horses. In a desert place called the New Road in London, I meet you and take charge of you. May Kit have his pipe on the box. I am sure it will make him go much sweeter. Fifty, if he likes. You put a sealskin pouch in. You think of every one before yourself. But can I get on with that dreadful woman? Don't you think she will preach me to death, Luke? Miranda, my dear, you are talking loosely. You forget the great gift that you possess. The noblest endowment of the nobler sex. You can sleep whenever you like and do it without even a suspicion of a snore. It is the very finest form of listening. Goodbye. You will be a most happy party. When once I see you packed, I shall spur on in front. Mr. Sharp kissed his hand and rode back to the cottage. Right well he knew what a time ladies take to put their clothes upon them, and the more grow the years of their practice in the art, the longer grow the hours needful. Still he thought Miss Patch had been quite long enough, but what could he say when he saw her at her window, with the looking-glass sternly set back upon the drawers, lifting her hands in short prayer to the Lord, as genuine a prayer as was ever tried? She was praying for a blessing on this new adventure, and that all might lead up to the glory of the kingdom. She besought to be relieved at last from her wearying instrumentality. Mr. Sharp still had some little faith left, for he was a man of much good feeling, and he did not scoff at his sister's prayer, as a man of low nature might have done. Nevertheless, he struck up with his whip at the ivy around her bedroom window, 
to impress the need of brevity, and the lady, though shocked at the suggestion of curtailment, did curtail immediately. In less than five minutes she was busy at the doorway, seeing to the exit of everything, and presently, with very pious precision, she gave Mrs. Marjorie Daw half a crown, and a tract which some friend should read to her, after rubbing her hands with a rind of bacon and a worn-out pocket-handkerchief which had belonged to the mighty Roland Hill, whose voice went three miles and a half. Then Miss Patch, with her dress tucked up and her spectacles at their brightest, marched with a copy of the scriptures borne prominently forward and the tags of her cloak doubled up on her arm towards the carriage, where Grace must be waiting for her. The sloping of the sunset threw her shadow, and the ring-doves in the wood were cooing. The peace and the beauty touched even her heart, and the hushing of the winds of evening in the nestling of the wood appeased the ruffled mind to that simplicity of childhood, where God and good are one. But just as she was shaking hands benevolently with Mrs. Sharp, before getting into the carriage, back rode Mr. Sharp at full gallop, and without any ceremony shouted, "'Where's the girl?' "'Miss Oglander? Why, I thought she was here,' Hannah Patch answered with a little gasp. "'And I thought she was coming with you,' cried Mrs. Sharp, "'as well as my dear boy, Christopher. "'I let her go to meet him as you arranged,' Miss Patch exclaimed decisively. "'I had nothing to do with her after that.' "'Is it possible that the boy has rogued me?' "'As Mr. Sharp said these few words, his face took a color never seen before.' even by his loving wife. The color was a livid purple, and it made his sparkling eyes look pale. They must be at the cottage, Mrs. Sharp suggested. Let me go look for the naughty young couple. The lawyer had his reasons for preventing this, as well as for keeping himself where he was, and therefore, at a sign from him, Miss Patch turned back and set off with all haste for the cottage. No sooner had she turned the corner than Joe Smith, the tall gypsy, emerged from the wood with long strides into the road, and beckoned to Mr. Sharp urgently. The lawyer was with him in a moment, and almost struck him in his fury at what he heard. "'How could you allow it, you great tinkering fool? Run to the corner where the two lanes meet. Take George with you. I'll ride straight down the road. No, stop. Cut the traces of those two horses. You jump on one and Black George on the other.' and off for the corner full gallop. You ought to be there before the cart. I will ride straight for the rotten old jolter. Sounds as one man to beat five of us. Waiting for no answer, he struck spurs into his horse, and stooping over the withers, dashed into a tangled alley which seemed to lead towards the timber track. No wonder Mr. Sharp was in such a rage, for what had happened was exactly this, only much of it happened with more speed than words. Cripps the carrier had been put up by several friends and relations, especially Numbers the butcher, who missed the pork trade of Leviticus, to bring things directly to a point instead of letting them go on, in a way which was neither one thing nor the other. Confessing all the claims of duty, poor Zachary only asked how he could discharge them. He had done his very best, and he had found out nothing. If anyone could tell him what more to do, he would wear out his Sunday shoes to thank them. "'Brother Zack,' said Mrs. Numbers, with a feeling which, in a less loyal family, would have been contempt, "'have you set a woman to work, now have you?' Every Cripps present was struck with this, and the most of all the carrier. Mrs. Numbers herself was quite ready to go, but a feud had arisen betwixt her and Susanna as to whether three-hold or four-hold buttons cut the cotton faster, 
and therefore the carrier resolved to take his own sister Eddie, who never quarreled. It was found out that she required change of air, and, indeed, she had been rather delicate ever since her long, sad task at Shotover. Now Leviticus durst not refuse to receive her, much as he disliked the plan. The girl went without any idea of playing spy. All she knew was that her brother was suspected of falling into low company, and she was to put him on his mettle, if she could. Hence it was that Hardenau, gazing betwixt the two feather-edged boards, beheld, just before he lost his wits, the honored vehicle of Cripps, with empty washing-baskets standing on its welcome homeward road to discharge the fair Eddie at her brother's gate. Tickus was away upon Mr. Sharp's business, and Zachary, through a grand sense of honor, would not take advantage of the chance by going in. Craft and wickedness might be in full play with them, but a wife should on no account be taken unawares and tempted to speak outside her duty. Therefore the carrier kissed his sister in the soft gleam of the sunset clouds, and refusing so much as a glass of ale, touched up Dobbin with a tickle of the whip, and that excellent nag, after looking round for oats in a dream, which his common sense premised to be too sanguine, brushed all his latter elegances with his tail, and fetching round his blinkers a most sad adieu to Esther, gave a little grunt at fortune and resignedly set off. When he grunted at a light day's work, how little did he guess what unparalleled exertions parted him yet from his stable for the night. For while Master Cripps, with an equable mind, was jogging it gently on the silent way, and, thinking how lonely his cottage would be without Esther, was balancing in his mind the respective charms of his three admirers, Mary Hookham, Mealy Hiss, and Sally Brown of the Golden Cross, and sadly concluding that he must make up his mind to one of the three ere long. Suddenly he beheld a thing which frightened him more than a dozen wives. Cripps was come to a turn of the track, for it scarcely could be called a road, and was sadly singing to Dobbin and himself that exquisite elegiac, Needles and pins, needles and pins, when a man marries his trouble begins. Dobbin also, though he had never married, was trying to keep time to this tune, as he always did to sound sentiments, when the two of them saw a sight that came like a stroke for profanity over them. Directly in front of them, from a thick bush, sprang a beautiful girl into the middle of the lane, and spread out her hand to stop them. If the evening light had been a little paler, or even the moon had been behind her, a ghost she must have been then, and forever. Cripps stared as if he would have no eyes any more, but Dobbin had received a great many comforts from the little hand spread out to him, and he stopped and sniffed and lifted up his nose, now growing more decidedly aquiline, that it might be stroked and even possibly regaled with a bunch of white-blossom clover. Oh, Cripps, good Cripps, you dear old Cripps, Grace O'Glander cried with great tears in her eyes. You never have forgotten me, Zachary Cripps. They say that I am dead and buried. It isn't true, not a word of it. Dear Cripps, I am as sound alive as you are, only I have been shamefully treated. Do let me get up in your cart, good Cripps, and my father will thank you forever. But, Missy, poor Missy, Cripps stammered out, drawing on his heart for every word. You was buried on the 7th of January, in the year of our Lord, 1838. Three pickaxes was broken over digging of your grave by reason of the frosty weather, and all of us come to your funeral. Do ye go back, miss? That's a dear. The churchyard to Beckley is a comfortable place. 
and this here wood is no place for a Christian. But, Cripps, dear Cripps, do try and let me speak. They might have broken thirty pickaxes, but I had nothing at all to do with it. May I get up? Oh, may I get up? It is the only chance of saving me. I hear a horse tearing through the wood. Oh, dear clever Cripps, you will repent it for the rest of all your life. Even Dobbin is sharper than you are. You blessed old ass, cried a stern young voice as Kit Sharp, who had meant not to show, rushed forward. There is no time for your heavy brain to work. You shall have the young lady, dead or alive. Pardon me, Grace, no help for it. Now, thick-headed bumpkin, put one arm around and off at full gallop with your old screw. If you give her up, I will hang you by the neck to the tail of your broken rattle-trap. Oh, Cripps, dear Cripps, I assure you on my honor, said Grace, as tossed up by her lover she sat on the seat of Esther. I have never been dead any more than you have. I can't tell you now. Oh, drive on, drive, if you have a spark of manhood in you. A horse and horseman came out of the wood about fifty yards behind them, and Grace would have fallen headlong but for the half-reluctant arm of Cripps, as Dobbin with a jump, quite unknown in his very first essay of harness, set off full gallop over rut and rock, with a blow on his back from the fist of Kit, like the tumble of a chimney-pot. Then Christopher Sharp, after one sad look at Grace O'Glander's flying figure, turned round to confront his father. "'What means all this?' cried the lawyer fiercely, being obliged to rein up his horse unless he would trample Kit underfoot. "'It means this,' answered his son, with a firm gaze and strong grasp of his bridle, "'that you have made a great mistake, sir, that you must give up your plan altogether, that the poor young lady who has been so deceived "'Let go my bridle, will you? "'Am I to stop here to be baffled by you? "'Idiot, let go my bridle. "'Father, you shall not. "'For your own sake, you shall not. "'I may be an idiot, but I will not be a blackguard. "'If by the time I have counted three, "'your hand is on my bridle, "'I will knock you down and ride over you.' "'Their eyes met in furious conflict of will, "'the elder man's glaring with the blaze of an opal, "'and the younger one's steady with a deep brown glow.' "'Strike me dead if you choose,' said Kit, as his father raised his arm with the loaded whip swinging and counted. "'One, two, three. Then the crashing blow fell on the naked temple, and it was not needed twice. Dashing the rowels into his horse, whose knees struck the boy in the chest as he fell, and hurtled him among the bushes, the lawyer, without even looking round, rode madly after Zachary. Dobbin had won a good start by this time and was round the corner doing great wonders for his time of life, tossing the tubs and the baskets and grace and even the sturdy carrier like fritters in a pan, while the cart leapt and plunged, and the spokes of the wheels went round too fast to be counted. Cripps tugged at Dobbin with all his might, but for the first time in his life the old horse rebelled and flung on at full speed. "'He knoweth best, miss, he knoweth best,' cried Zachary while Grace clung to him. He hath a divination of his own, if he doth'n't kick a cart to tatters. But never would I turn tail on a single man. Who is yon chap riding after us? Oh, Cripps, it is a dreadful man, whispered Grace with her teeth jerking into her tongue, who has kept me in prison and perhaps killed my father. Oh, Dobbin, sweet Dobbin, try one more gallop and you shall have clover forever. Poor Dobbin responded with his best endeavor. But alas, his old feet and his legs and his breath were not as in the palmy days. 
and a long, shambling trot with a canter for a change where the utmost he could compass, he wagged his gray tail in brief expostulation, conveying that he could go no faster. Now for it, said Cripps as the foe overhauled them. I never was afeard of one man yet, and I don't mean to begin at this time of life. Missy, go down into the body of the cart, her ride easily enough by now, and cover thee up with the bucking baskets. Cripps will take thee to thy father, little un. Never fear, my dearie. She obeyed him by jumping back into the cart, but as for hiding in a basket, Grace had a little too much of her father's spirit, and the weather was so fine that no tilt was on. She sat on the rail there and faced her bitter foe. That child is my ward, shouted Mr. Sharp, riding up to the side of Cripps while his eyes passed on from Grace's. Give her up to me this moment, fellow. I can take her by the law of the land, and I will. Liar, Sharp! answered Master Cripps, desiring to address him professionally. This ere young lady belongeth to her father, and no man else shall have her. Any reasoning thou hast to come down with, us will hearken, as we goes along. But if so be that thou keepest to a civil tongue, and I words never bait me down one penny, and never shall do so, while the Lord is with me. Hark you, Cripps, replied Master Sharp, putting his lips to the carrier's ear and whispering so that Grace could only guess at enormous sums of money, which sums began doubling at every breath. Down on the nail, and no man the wiser, but the devil a great deal the wiser, said the carrier, grinning gently as if he saw the power of evil fleeing away in discomfiture. Now, liar sharp, hath thou outwitted his self. What liar would offer such a sight of money for what were his own by the lay of the land? You cursed fool! You will die! cried Sharp, drawing and cocking a great horse pistol. Your blood be on your head, then yield. Cripps, with great presence of mind, made believe for a moment to surrender, till Mr. Sharp lowered his weapon, and came up to stop the cart, and to take out Grace. In a moment, the carrier, with a wonderful stroke, learned from long whip-wielding, fetched down his new lash on the eyeball of the young and ticklish horse of the lawyer, Mad with pain and rage, the horse stood up as straight as a soldier drilling, and balanced on the turn to fall back, break his spine, and crush his rider. Luke Sharp and his peril slipped off, and the cartwheel comfortably crunched over his left foot. His pistol bullet whizzed through the tall old tree. He stood on one foot and swore horribly. Gee, wug, Dobbin, said Cripps in a cheerful but not by any means excited vein. Us needn't gallop any more now, I reckon. A liar hath put his foot in it. Please now, Miss Grace, come and sit to the front again. We shall have you yet, you darned old clod! Mr. Sharp in his rage yelled after him. Oh, I'll pay you out for this devil's own trick. You aren't come to the corner yet. Oh, shouted Cripps. Liar Sharp, my duty to you. You don't catch me a-going to the corner, sir, if some of the firm be a-waitin' for me there. With these words he gaily struck off to the right through a by-lane unknown, but just passable where the sound of his wheels was no longer heard, and the mossy boughs closed over him. Grace clung to his arm, and glory and gladness filled the simple heart of Cripps. Meanwhile Mr. Sharp, who had stuck to his bridle, limped to his horse but could not mount, Then he drew forth the other pistol from the near holster and cocked it and leveled it at Cripps, but thanks to brave Dobbin, now the distance was too great, and he kept the charge for a nobler use. End of chapter 52